It's so good to be God's people together. This is what it looks like in a summer of COVID. There are so many of our families that are still traveling. There are others still that are laying low because they're at higher risk or they're laying low out of safety for some of the things they've experienced this week. But let me tell you what a joy it is to have a people and a place to gather and lift high the name of Jesus. Kathy, I'm so grateful for lining these people up during our time of scripture and prayer to lift up these needs because it is being a church that doesn't just value prayer or talk about prayer that's going to survive this season. It's going to be a church that actually prays. It's going to be a praying church. And incidentally, that's what we're going to be talking about this evening as we turn to the book of Psalms. And this evening, we're going to be looking at Psalm 124. Psalm 124. We are in the Psalms of Ascent that you may remember are the 15 psalms or songs sung by pilgrims like us on our journey toward God. These 15 songs, historians believe, were sung literally by pilgrims on their road trip toward the Jerusalem temple to worship God at the big festivals of the Israelites. But the reason they have withstood the test of time is because they are songs that guide us and bear witness and give words for the hills and valleys on the roads that we walk. That we've walked this week and will walk, Lord willing, next week. This is an interesting psalm and I'd like for us to look at it together. Hear the words of Psalm 124. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, If the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, man, they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger flared against us, the flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. There's an implied but here. But praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare, like a trap. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. And then if there is a chorus to this song that we would need to repeat eight or 80 times, it would be verse eight. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God for this reminder. Well, most everybody knows that uh, we moved this summer. And you know that we have a pool. Some of you, if you're in our small group or in our student group, you would have swam in that pool. And it's been interesting for Amy and I. (laughs) There's somebody who's swam in it. It's been interesting for Amy and I to watch new people get into our new old pool because we tell them, hey, it's deep. And they're like, oh, okay, cool, cool, no big deal. I'm like, no, it's it's deep. It goes from three and a half feet to nine and a half feet. And we promise you, and we put a little blue rope with some floaties, that it comes pretty quick. It sneaks up on you. 
And so we've watched person after person after person say, ah, let's see, let's see. And they start to walk, and they start to walk, and then almost like I'm at the edge of this platform here, you can kind of just see them go, oh, oh, yes. And you just see their chin start to kind of dip down because they realize that there's just that drop off. This week, I wonder where you are on your journey. Because the last two weeks, I've felt this collective sense that we were all walking and trucking along. And we all just take that one step and we feel the water begin to hit our chin. And we go, oh, oh, wow, okay, yeah, whoops. We're in the deep end now. I feel like there's just this collective sense in our city, in our county, that we were all just having a grand old summer. We're doing our student camp. We're doing our VBS. We're up at the Rock, and we're just having a grand old time. And then, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, whoops. (laughs) But here's the good news. That... Psalm 124 has something to show us because God's people have been in this, and if you could believe it, even worse situations where they feel like their chin is not just dipping below the surface. They feel like the tsunami is headed straight for them. But Psalm 124 is a song of help in a hazardous situation. And this is So important. You need to understand this before we get any further into this psalm. Hazard may be the setting of the psalm, but help is the subject of the psalm. Do you see the difference? If you were to go back to your seventh grade English class and they say, where's the setting of this story? And if you're reading The Hobbit... Or Lord of the Rings, you'd say, well, it starts in the Shire. And then they move across the plains and and you talk about the settings. Hazard is the setting. Back to our seventh grade English class, they say, okay, what's the subject of this sentence in your grammar study? What's the person, place, or thing, the one that's doing the action? You need to understand that the main point, the central focus, the verb, and the main focus is help, not hazard. And I think that this is why this psalm is an important reminder. Because we come to God flailing and disoriented and we feel the water up around our chin. And we start to get crazy legs and crazy arms. And we start to reach out for the side of the pool. And the psalmist is singing over us, I've been there at the point of drowning. And I'm here to tell you that God is not going to toss you away. It may not go how I expected it, but God helped me. It may not have been in my timing, but God helped me. And I know that I wouldn't be standing here without Him. That's what the psalmist is singing. And so often people come to pastors and leaders like dissatisfied customers. And I'll be honest with you that part of my temptation is to be the customer service hotline to say, and how has God disappointed you and how might I explain that away and make it right? And I'll tell you, 
that you don't want that for a pastor because we will never satisfy your curiosities. Which is why last week I said, we've just got to do what God's people have done for millennia and embrace the mystery built on a solid hope that though I'm not certain of most things, I am certain that God is love, that he's at work, and he ain't done yet. So when you feel flailing and drowning and hazard is imminent and set before you, understand that I can't explain it all if you're a dissatisfied customer. But guess what? On your journey with God, He ain't looking for customers. He is growing pilgrim disciples that are learning to walk with Him in the midst of it. In our time of prayer before our service, Aaron was talking about how he was looking at the story of Joseph in the Old Testament toward the end of it. And this man had all kinds. He was in a literal trap. We read a metaphorical trap in Psalm 124. He was in a literal trap. And he sees eventually at the end of his journey God's fingerprints. And he says what you meant for evil God meant for good. And God is willing and moving and bending toward good and his purpose. And Aaron was talking about I feel like in my life God uses these challenges to form us and shape us. Miguel was talking about this too. It was the theme of our prayer before our service today, and it's the theme of our time this evening. God isn't seeking customers. God is growing pilgrims that learn how to walk through the valleys, and this is what he's doing in the church. It may have been in theory for us before, but now I think we've all sensed again this disorientation, and we have a choice. And this is what we're going to be talking about. The first thing we're going to do is talk about the importance of looking back. That's what Psalm 124 teaches us. And then I'm going to give you some practical calls and invitations for moving forward. So we're going to talk about looking backward and we're going to talk about looking forward. But just to sum up, here's this big idea. Psalm 124 doesn't argue, apologize, or explain why hazards come. I'm sorry, God just won't give you all the facts at this moment on this side of eternity. Instead, this psalm, following that tradition, bears witness to the truth that we, are, that we never face hazards without God's help. That doesn't mean that you won't face hazards. That doesn't mean that you won't face difficulties. That won't mean that he won't always give you what you want that won't mean that you won't face sickness and struggle what I'm promising you is that you'll never face hazards without God's help and you say well what about all these other people who've died or are struggling and I'll say I promise you God's gonna make it up to them I promise you I'm risking my life and betting all my cards on the fact that the one who said I'm making all things new will do it And that's what we need to see in psalms and songs like this. And that's why we keep gathering together to be reminded of it. The first little chunk we're going to talk about just for a moment is the importance of looking back. The importance of looking back. Like most psalms, we don't know the precise context of why somebody wrote this down. But in this case, there's enough that there's an eminent 
military threat. Did you see clues within the songs? Some of it, you might have a different translation, actually talks about uh, people, men, out to get me. Although he gets some dramatic metaphors, we can guess that it's an imminent military threat. And so like most psalms, we may not also have the same literal experience because I've never been in combat and I've never felt someone knocking down my door ready to take over my city. Although presently, of course, in the Middle East, we see that this is the reality playing out even as we speak. Which is important to remember that the Psalms, the songbook of Christians and Jewish folk alike, cover the whole scope of human emotion and experience. And it gives us metaphors for when we may not experience it literally by God's grace, but we know what it feels like when you feel the waters beginning to rise in your heart. Am I right? But I love verse 1 that says, if, if it wasn't for our God, and watch Adam's translation, you ready? Come on, everybody, let's sing it together. Do you know which phrase I just translated in the psalm? Let what? Israel say. It's like the guy steps up to the mic and he does one of those things. You remember concerts <laughs> when they used to do this, right? If God had not been on our side, he goes, come on, y'all sing it out. And he gives you one of these. For those listening on the podcast, I just held the microphone out to the congregation. If it wasn't for our God, our people would have been wiped off the map. Here's something you can write down. Looking back at God's faithfulness in the past was vital for staying faithful in the present. Looking back at God's faithfulness in the past was vital and is vital for staying faithful in the present. It's like the dust has settled. They survived the imminent threat. And he goes, "Woo! if God wasn't with us, that could have been rough. This imminent military threat, you have to understand, as a nation state of Israel, and even still today, they are literally going around saying, our very existence could be in jeopardy tomorrow. We could be bombed and wiped off the map. This is what's going on. And so this song says, if God wasn't around, we would have been wiped off the map. So the invitation here, before I get to the second half of our invitations, the, the invitation for you to just say, like, if you're living and breathing and present right now, look back five feet from the journey of this week and say, "Woo! if not for God, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now. This is why this practice is baked in and throughout the whole Old Testament. This is why they're traveling to these festivals. Remember the Passover in the Exodus when God delivered his people from Egypt? Yeah, we're still going to do that and reenact that every year, even until present day. Because looking back at God's faithfulness is vital for staying faithful today. Oh, if he did something that crazy back then and powerful back then, perhaps we might be able to trust him today for this situation. It shouldn't be new information. It's reminding you of what God has always reminded his people throughout scripture. I love a story in 2 Samuel 7. 
Write down 2 Samuel 7. Go back and look at it. In the Samuel stories, you're starting to get this hinge from this difficult season of the judges where they had these strong leaders kind of navigating through a wild, wild west. And you're just about to get the kings. In 2 Samuel 7, I'm familiar with this story because I like to sing the song, Come Thou Fount, when I go and lead worship. And I realize that before we sing the second verse, I always say, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see. I'll tell you why I know this. I sang it at another place recently, and I found an old recording of me singing this song at a church in 2010. And I said, oh, that's fun. And I pressed play, and guess what I heard before I sang the second verse. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, I said, oh, cool. I'm a pastor that has had no original thought in 11 years. I'm saying the same things today that I was saying then. Maybe there's an illustration here that we need to remember and be reminded. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, what happened was Samuel, who stepped up as a prophet of God, said, listen, you better give up these fake gods. It's part of the problem because you're you're in this state because you're not tuned into the true God. The other problem we're facing is that the Ark of the Covenant, that wasn't just part of that Indiana Jones movie, it was a literal physical thing that these people carried around, had been gone for 20 years. So they needed some raiders of the lost Ark because for 20 years this symbol and tangible expression of God's faithfulness was gone. Well, The Philistines were the imminent threat. God rescued them. They turned from gods. They got the ark. And you know what Samuel did? He says, you people with some bad memories, we better set up a stone and a memorial so that you can walk past it. And when you're tempted to go to other gods, remember this. And when you forget about how God brought back the ark, you need to remember this. And what did he call it? It's in the screen on this question. An Ebenezer. Ebenezer is a Hebrew word that means stone of help. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, they set up a statue and it was called the stone of help. And it meant for them, thus far the Lord has helped us. Right now, you are sitting, you're listening, you're driving, you're whatever. You're hearing me say this. Set up an Ebenezer right here, right now. And just pause and say, God, you have brought me safely thus far to this moment. I may not have another one. But I want to look back and say, thank you, you've brought me through it thus far. Naming God's help helps us recognize it. And we get better at it as we go. Oh, yeah. We're a forgetful people. Write it. Name it. Remember it. One of the things that helps me, secondly, is to share it. Sharing our story helps us normalize God's work for others. How many of you have had an experience where you've been sitting down and somebody said, I feel like God has done X, Y, or Z. And you say, wow, I never thought of it that way. Be that person for someone else this month. I really sense that I'm drowning and I feel like I'm flailing in a pool, but I think it's God's grace that's keeping me from spiraling out of control. You can share that with someone and they might say, oh, God can do that. 
I thought I was just resigned to the anxiety of the fear and division and hate in our culture. Name it and share it. It's so important and vital to look back. So here's the questions. If we were writing a song, what verse would you add to our people's song of God's help? If we were to say, God has helped us thus far, parentheses Ebenezer, by the TNC worship conglomerate or collective, that sounds better. And it says, featuring Miguel, what does his verse sound like? Does he rap it or does he sing it? What do you, neither? Or is, oh, well, you're a theater person. Is it spoken word? Okay. I know that Toby's rapping. I've heard her karaoke. Courtney's singing. Aaron's probably yelling. What verse would you add? What's the content? Hazard is the setting. Help is the subject. How has God helped you? What is the Ebenezer you can build here and now? Looking back is so vital. In our neighborhood group this week that Amy Wood leads, she was talking about how um, we're looking back at how God has brought us through the week. And I started writing this down. I'm like, I'm going to use this on Saturday. And she said, it's kind of silly, but she had this image that we're moving forward, like in a forward progress, but our eyes are turned backward. And we're walking each new step, looking back and saying, okay, God brought me safely through on Monday. So now I'm walking into Tuesday and I'm going to say, okay, he did it then. God, can you do it now? And I'm going to take another step through this illness and worry and this financial strain and struggle. And I said, okay, I remember that one time six months ago where I didn't think we were going to be able to pay that. And, and we're standing here now. So I'm looking backward and asking and trusting and waiting that I'll do it. It's this forward progress that still looks back to dust for the fingerprints of God along our path. What verse are you adding and on our journey together, as God's people, can we walk forward while looking backward at the fingerprints of God along our path thus far? Second, I'm going to close with some very practical invitations. And we're going to get back to Psalm 124. There are those three metaphors woven together. Do you see it? They're trying to paint a picture of, y'all, it was bad. Let me tell you, it was bad. The hazard of a flood and it talks about their teeth would have ripped us apart like a dragon or a monster. And then they said, man, we would have been like a little bird in a trap. And I wonder which of these metaphors resonates with you. If I were to draw a parallel with a flood of our deepest worry. So many of you all and others have talked about seasons of depression where you just feel like you're submerged in the dark, murky waters. And no matter how hard you try on your own strength, you just can't breach the surface. Our deepest worry. Now do you see what I mean where we may not literally experience what the psalmist is singing, but we say, but I feel it. A monster representing our darkest fear, the monster of COVID. The mo How about a trap to storm or illness? 
Or how about a trap? Our desperate hopelessness. This is the one that I'm fighting against and praying against because I feel like once we get into that trap of hopelessness, it's harder and harder to see the good and beautiful and strange hope of the future. We're flailing in a pool of what ifs and what's next. And that's not to mitigate the fact that the army then and your worry, fear, and hopelessness now aren't legitimate because they are. But we need to understand they're all capable of swallowing us up. They're legitimate. And the psalmist is not singing about the good life. This is not one of those psalms at the end called the halal psalms, the praise songs. It's not the good life yet on the journey of ascent. It is hard because God does not promise a life without difficulty. But listen, listen, listen. God does promise his love and presence in the midst of and on the other side of difficulty. So let me say it again. Psalm 124 bears witness to the fact that the worst has happened and God didn't go off and leave us. Let me tell you how many literal, physical wars and battles Israel, who belonged to God, experienced. How many literal deaths and illnesses they experienced. And yet, God's people Persist and exist today. Amen? The very Son of God was crucified and buried, literally, and yet, He rose again. He has defeated sin, death, and evil. He is victorious and the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And we can live with Him now. The kind of life that persists even after death. So some practical invitations. In a world in which Psalm 124 is so timely. Number one. We turn our eyes to him when fear narrows our focus. That's why I said verse 8 is the chorus that's worth repeating 80 times. Do you have a verse or a mantra or that little thing in your back pocket that when the fears and floods and worries overwhelm you, you can pull out of your pocket and just hold on to? I have a few. One of them, you've probably heard me say or pray or I've sent it to you. In an image, Psalm 33, 22, may your unfailing love surround us, Lord, even as we hope in you. The Jesus prayer, beloved by the Eastern Orthodox tradition and out of the words in the Gospels, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, what? Have mercy on me, a sinner. The Lord's prayer. What's on your greatest hits? When fear narrows your focus, what's going to get your eyes up out of the zoomed in, difficult, legitimate situation and get your eyes on him? Verse 8 says, oh yeah, he's the maker of heaven and earth. He's so much bigger and stronger 
than the biggest and strongest enemy I see in front of me? Would you dare and will yourself to believe it? Amy and I love to dance, and we would love to dance at weddings. Remember when we would all dance at weddings? (laughs) And sometimes we're out there, and the DJ did his best to do that trick where he's like, Everybody uh, uh, come out to the dance floor and if you've been married for X amount and this and he's just trying to get everybody on the floor and make sure that they like start dancing. Sometimes Amy and I have been the only two that are trying to grease the wheels and like the lawnmower trying to get the thing going and it's just sputtering and nobody else is out there and the thing ain't going. So what do we say girl? We start doing this. Oh no. I'm going to stop asking questions and for audience participation. Correction. What I say is, eyes right here, girl. Eyes right here. Don't worry about what's going on around you. Don't worry about them that are sitting over there. Right here, girl. You and me locked in. This is Bruno Mars. This is my song. Right here, girl. And we may be the only two dancing, but we've got our eyes locked in on each other. Aaron was talking about this here, that... If Joseph could have gotten the bird's eye view, he would have seen that God is still at work. That's the first invitation. Would you turn your eyes to him when fear narrows our focus? You can still look at the imminent threat in front of you, but would you try to say, okay, I'm going to turn my eyes on you because if I keep it here, I'm going to spiral out. Second, we turn worrying into praying when anxiety sends us spiraling. I was talking to somebody in our church who was having a difficult week that basically without using this language said, every time I felt anxiety and worry, I just turned it into a prayer. And she talked about how um, through tears, she just started to turn from those negative thoughts and that negative self-talk and that negative spiral, and she just started turning it into prayer. The TNC mantra, turning worrying into praying when anxiety sends us spiraling. Last week, I talked about what if we resolve to talk to God as much about our fears and problems and pains as we're resolving to talk about it with everybody else on our Twitter and Facebook or sitting in front of us. What if we resolve to talk to God as much about it as we are to everybody else? Third, We strive for consistency in our dependency as a church who takes prayer seriously. That's what I said at the beginning of the message. It's one thing to talk about prayer. It's one thing to value it. It's another to do it. And I'm convinced that the only way we're going to make it is for a call to prayer. And I don't just mean the neighborhood church. I'm grateful to God, and this is another thing we're talking about, that we still have a church and a people because it's rough out there. If the church is going to survive, it's going to be because we're on our knees begging God to keep us and hold us tight and to lead us and guide us through this valley. So one of the ways we're going to do that, and I'm inviting you to do that, Amy, if you could come and sit, if you could come. We have these laminated cards that Kathy was talking about, and I just posted it in our group uh, a couple hours ago. And today is a day that I'm inviting you to start for 15 days a call to prayer. I'm asking you for 15 days, which begins today and takes us through the last gathering of August, the 28th. So just over two weeks. And because I'm a preacher 
and I talked to Bud even before I printed them again. I said, now just remind me again what we're doing because I'm going to turn it too cute if I'm not careful. And he said, no, this is just enough, but you're pushing it. So it's five by five by five, which equals what? Fifteen. Now, I want you to try, and I do mean try. It was hard for me today. It's easier for me other days. But with all the noise, it starts with five minutes of stillness. And I'll give you this very practically. Deep breaths. Try to become present to God's presence. Find that verse or word that helps you stay centered. I'll offer you this one. Jesus. And try to sit in stillness where you're saying and praying the word Jesus. Not to him, but kind of like with him. If that sounds nebulous and weird, just try it. And I think it'll make sense in a quiet place of stillness. You're saying Jesus to become aware of his presence with you in that moment. And if you need another practical teaching, this has been helpful to me. If you imagine that there's a stream passing in front of you, when you want to take Jesus to Kroger and your shopping list creeps in, just drop that into the stream and let it wash on down the river. When you start to think, man, I stink at this. I can never be still. This must be a thing that pastors can do. I can't. Let me tell you, I'm still learning too. So just drop that in the stream and let it send it on down. And then you say, okay, and you deep breathe and you say Jesus and you try to be present to him for five minutes. Let the noise dissipate. Let your heart rate slow. Become aware of God's presence with you. This is something that we're not making up. It's not new age. It is what the saints have done throughout history. How do you think they heard God so much? Is because they tried to still their hearts and turn down the radio volume of their life so that they might hear the still small voice. So try it for 15 days. Five minutes of prayer. This could be 10 total. You could have five still minutes and then five prayer minutes for the five needs. It still equals 15. But as Kathy said earlier, you could also try this on for size. Give us 15 whole minutes for 15 days, five minutes of stillness, five minutes of prayer, just freestyle or Lord's Prayer, or I can literally send you gobs of them. In fact, here's another plug. We have a daily prayer guide on our website. And there's a podcast if you search TNC Daily Prayer in our Sermons and Resources tab. There's a podcast that will teach you um, something Brian Zond taught us that we've modified and adapted. Gobs of prayers there. Five minutes of stillness, five minutes of prayer for these at least five timely needs. So you can add an extra five and then do the five timely needs for 15 whole minutes. Or you can say, I need five minutes of stillness and five minutes I'm going to pray for all five of these things. You with me on that? There's some flexibility because you say, man, I really can't find 15 minutes. Um, you might drive somewhere for 10. Try stillness and then 
give us a minute for each of those things on the card. They're laminated. Amy laminated them so you can put it in your shower. When I was Will's age, someone gave me a laminated index card with the passage in Jeremiah. I could recite it to you now because I looked at it every day in the shower for many, many years as a student. Five minutes for 15 days. Five minutes and see what God might do in our community and what might be transformed in us. God isn't seeking customers. God is growing pilgrim disciples to walk with him. It's a hazardous walk, so we need to turn our eyes to him and be in prayer. I love, so love that we pray together and we value and actually pray in this church. Amen? I want to close with a quote, and then we're going to receive communion and worship. It's a lengthy quote. But it's a quote that I just, I really feel compelled to share with you because this is a hazardous walk and Psalm 124 bears witness to the help through it. And so you're going to see this lengthy passage from the late great Eugene Peterson in his book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction about the Psalms of Ascent, which is why I'm quoting it every week. (laughs) And he talks about risking Faith, hope, and love in a hazardous world. Stay with me and hear his words. What is hazardous in my life is my work as a Christian. Every day I put faith on the line. I've never seen God. And in a world where nearly everything can be weighed, explained, quantified, subjected to psychological analysis and scientific control, I persist in making the center of my life a God whom no eye hath seen, nor ear heard, whose will no one can probe. That's a risk. Every day I put hope on the line. I don't know one thing about the future. I don't know what the next hour will hold. There may be sickness, accident, personal or world catastrophe. Before this day is over, I may have to deal with death, pain, loss, rejection. I don't know what the future holds for me, for those I love, for my nation, for this world. Still, despite my ignorance and surrounded by tinny optimists and cowardly pessimists, I say that God will accomplish his will. And I cheerfully persist in living in the hope that nothing will separate me from Christ's love. Every day I put love on the line. (laughs) There is nothing I am less good at than love. I am far better in competition than in love. I am far better at responding to my instincts and ambitions to get ahead and make my mark than I am at figuring out how to love another. I am schooled and trained in acquisitive skills in getting my own way. And yet I decide every day to set aside what I can do best and attempt what I do Very clumsily. And that's this. 
Open myself to the frustrations and failures of loving. Daring to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. Church, you can steep yourself in negativity and fear and worry and anxiety. Or you can choose to risk it all and abide in faith, hope, and love. What are you going to do? Are we going to risk faith, hope, and love in a world steeped in distrust, despair, and division? Are we as the neighborhood church going to turn our eyes to the helper and encourage one another toward consistency in our dependency? What are you going to do? Whatever we do, understand that God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And he is our help, our refuge, and strength. Amen and amen. Tonight's benediction is by Eugene Peterson. We speak our words of praise in a world that is hellish. We we sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We live our joy among people who neither understand nor encourage us. But the content of our lives is God, not humanity. We are not scavenging in the dark alleys of the world, poking in the garbage cans for a bare subsistence. We are traveling in the light towards God who is rich in mercy and strong to save. It is Christ, not culture, that defines our lives. It is the help we experience, not the hazards we risk, that shape our days. Hear those words one more time, church. It is the help we experience, not the hazards we risk, that shape our days. Go with God's help and in his peace.